Welcome back to Friends by Film. I'm one of the hosts here, Daniel Polidoro. And I'm Tyler Pacholsky. Thanks for joining us today. What do we got going on today, Daniel? Very special episode today. Do you want to introduce our guest? Absolutely. So this guest hails from Wichita, Kansas. Happens to be my brother. Uh, his name is Ashton Pacholsky. Ashton, thank you for joining us. Of course. It's, it's yeah. wonderful to be here, but with Friends by Film. Yes, uh, uh, we're here talking about probably one of my favorite movies of all time, and this is a very special episode to be here and discuss it with you, and that is John Carpenter's The Thing, so it's awesome. Perfect introduction. So Absolutely. first, I want to start off with how did we, how did each of us get introduced to the film? I got into it kind of late, probably about five years ago, I watched it for the first time. And it keeps getting better for me. So let's start with Tyler. How, what was your first experience with John Carpenter's The Thing? So my first experience with John Carpenter's The Thing goes back to high school. I was a little bit of a late bloomer, uh, roughly r around the time you would imagine anybody watching The Thing or supposed to, with it being rated R. Uh, I saw it in high school. I was a part of the Film Critics Club. And it was a, a film that we decided, OK, let's check it out. And when I saw it, man, blew my mind away. And like you said, it, it gets better and better just upon each viewing. So that's been my first experience with the thing. Ashton, what's been your first experience with the thing? So being your younger brother and probably living in the same house at the same time as you when you watched it, I think probably around um, probably, yeah, starting middle school or like probably somewhere in elementary school, we must have like rented it from Hollywood video one night. And I'll never forget just being totally disgusted yet at the same time yeah. enamored with the images I was seeing at such a young age, just not really understanding what I was seeing, which is probably the director's intent and the special effects creators. But I was a young kid and it just left an impression on me. And just like you guys have been saying, every time I watch it, it's I just you know marvel at its beauty its design its pace there's something new to behold every time you watch it it's it's just an amazing film and so as a youngin it's kept me and it's kept me in its hold till this day i think it's it's really aged well too particularly the practical effects i think had it been made now with cgi i don't know if it would age as well we have really yet to see what cgi looks like 10 years from now like we kind of did from like avatar to now yeah. and it almost Stuff makes like me think of, of that uh remake the prequel remake they did when they tried to mesh the lines of practical and cgi but it's almost like once you threw the cgi factor into this mm -hmm. into the the world of the thing it totally lost i think all its charm that rob Oteen was able to have in 1982 with just the practical limitations and honestly, I think with the CGI, it just really, it almost takes the suspension of disbelief away from me. It's when you can see that those actors in the original mm -hmm. film are reacting to the practical effects, like there's weight to those, you know, reactions. It's that visceral, right. like, like, you know, human element of being there with this crazy, marvelous creation. You feel like you're out there in the Arctic with them and you're going through the same journey so Tyler, yeah. do we do we want to go into some of the summary spoilers or we're going to spoil, of course. So if you haven't seen yeah, the film, we're going to spoil the hell out of this thing. You might want to yeah. stop and go watch it. Come back. Please yeah. do yourself a favor and watch this film and come back here. Yes. 
Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I mean, basically the thing is a film that's about claustrophobic terror. We have these American scientists who are at an outpost in Antarctica, which I think also lends itself to what you were saying, Ashton, is to one of the things that the intent of the director is just to understand what the heck this was. This is a film that really sees with dread, doom, not only accentuated by Ennio Morricone's incredible score, which I happen to own on LP. Got one back here. Nice. It is a film that you have these men tasked with trying to figure out what the hell's going on and, and seeing their reactions, again, with the use of practical, just the incredible directing, the design. You really are. Immer it's, it, it felt like, honestly, Ridley Scott's alien just in Antarctica. And, and 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 i think the lighting the color the use of blue and purple and pink hues, oh yeah oh yeah incredible so uh, this is a film about claustrophobic terror and we see these people have to confront that so it's a edge of your seat thrill ride so in terms of spoilers i mean are there any particular instances for you daniel or ashton that really stick out to mind for you daniel what sticks out to mind oh uh when the guy's working on this chest and does the uh, the medical thing and yeah, that and the chest, open, the chest yeah the chest opens up oh, the yeah. first time seeing that is is so shocking and that's what's awesome about the thing too is even bringing up that scene i was talking more about why does this film work so well it's because it doesn't really rely on these like you know aggressive like sound cues to just like facilitate this like feeling of scared it's like this subtle like score by you said Ennio Morricone that's just boom boom it's like this impending doom and the film does a wonderful job of just having that throughout its pace it's like we're waiting for something and then when that moment happens with the chest burster scene mm -hmm. it just like hits us like a sucker punch and it just like goes to just you know how marvelous that that scene really is when it just shows because it's out of nowhere there's no sound cue of like Hitchcock and it's just, exactly yeah it hits you out of nowhere and I think that's what just really elevated that scene for me and the petri dish scene as well for me I oh, think the yeah. use of no silent no sound at all and you know something's about to happen you start tensing up you start being paranoid like the characters and then it, it hits you you know <laughs> they check the blood and 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 it's just the, the use that Carpenter does, he lets it think the scene set and you kind of absorb it and you take it in. And it's really the silence that really frightens you. It really for me. is. That's a, that's a great point. Yeah, it's that silence, that isolation, even going back to what the film is even about, that synopsis in Antarctica, just that blanket of just white snow, desolation. And I think the usage of really no sound at all just with a couple of pockmarked moments of just those low humming boom boom yep. it's really wonderful because you just feel that tension that isolation really well from the sound and these guys are bored too in the beginning of the movie you can tell they're kind of just yeah they're just playing cards yeah cabin fever and i love the scene where kurt russell just pours the beer in the chess machine that he gets pissed off he gets beat that just cracks me up. And great, and that, and go, speaking of that too, it's like this. This movie even operates like a perfect murder mystery of like a new age, 
the, what's great about that mundaneness, that almost minutia in the beginning is it gives us everything we need to know about each of those characters. Uh, I forget the guy on the roller skates, but we have mm -hmm. Niles, we have Windows, we have, you know, Clark, we have all these characters that are being introduced wonderfully. And we're just seeing their little nuances from an outsider point of view looking in. We're like, okay, we're just, we're seeing these guys, but that's all it is. And that's what even makes it more frightening that these are just everyday Joes that have to meet face to face with this thing. And that just really adds to just the shock, honestly. Tyler, was there any more scenes that we missed that, that you thought maybe were notable? Uh, I think we've uh, got to talk about that, that dog, though. What do you guys think about yeah. that dog performance? <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Like, it's definitely like the inciting incident is the dog coming to the camp and, and this Russian helicopter is just shooting at him. And It's yeah. not Russian. It's not Swedish. It's Norwegian. Is it Norwegian? Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. Oh, my fault. My fault. Well, uh, the reason why I picked that up is uh, just upon a rewatch, I thought it was very in, in, a, in a sense, not laugh out loud funny, but you had the, the character Blair, or not Blair, one of the uh, one of the other uh, side, the doctor, uh, saying it's not Swedish, it's Norwegian, just kept reiterating. There's some actual moments of, of, of laughter, of hilarity. Oh, yeah. Uh, let's take into consideration that Petri dish scene, uh, you know, aside from just like the, just the really great use of silence, pacing, you got a character like Child's like, get me the hell out of here. And, and then just like a nice cut to a quiet, both him on the opposite side, no longer tied to the sofa, just looking at Gary, you know, and then finding out, okay, he's not the, he's not the thing. His blood didn't react in a way that we were, you know, fearing. And so get me out of this chair. Like just funny laugh out loud moments like that. That actually really caught me off guard. And, and I don't know how intentional that was, but, it was it was hilarious and the dog uh accompanied by the musical cues uh was great it reminded me of like jaws it's really cueing us into that conditioning of okay i'm a i'm a i'm a simu i'm a, a simulating i'm associating this dog mm -hmm. with this sound so obviously i thought that was incredible stuff so um yeah the use of that dog was was great and and also just hiding in plain sight a trojan horse you know so it was great it was gross too. The transformation in the cage. Oh, oh yeah, and what's insane. great to know is that 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 special effects was actually provided by Stan Winston of okay. all the, the people in that world, you know. And it goes to just even further, just point out even when we you know dissect uh, the practical effects of the movies, inciting with that dog. It's you know it, it makes me just really marvel at what Rob Bottin, the special effects creator, was able to do in that film from just like, you know, just making these sinewy, almost amorphous like creations. I mean, cause when you think of the word, the thing, it's like, well, when I think of the images from that film, there's nothing other than I can describe it as the thing. And, you know, it was just, you know, something that uh, it was, it's a product of its time that I hope really makes a resurgence more and more in modern day horror films is that practical effects. Uh, that was just something I think that makes it so timeless and something so appealing is when you can look back at a film from the 80s and just see that, that that's almost kind of like a bygone era, but it's like something to revere because there was like really not to like discredit CGI artists of any day now because they do a lot of great work, but right. just the, the fact of actually modeling something, you know, being in the room and like creating something with all these hydraulic pumps, blood geysers, all that stuff. It, it's something to truly marvel and behold. And 
even the whole behind the scenes of that, you know, practical effects is something to discuss, but even just going off of the movie, what Tyler was saying about Carpenter's use of humor just really shows the genius of him taking those two kind of closely related domains of comedy and horror and how really connected those two kind of feelings really are. Cause most of the time when we're scared, we almost kind of resort to humor to cope with it. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, just from even Carpenter's even uh, filmography of like Big Trouble in Little China to Escape from New York with Kurt Russell, I think humor is like a really kind of central motif to uh, Carpenter's kind of, you know, filming. Yeah, and They Live as well, I would say. Oh, yeah, with Roddy yeah. Piper, Keith David. I mean, yeah, the humor is something I think is just something that is like, you know, intentionally there to just kind of ease the flow of this horror for this film. And it works wonderful, I think. It just makes it even more unnerving and suspenseful. Yeah, it's it's great you mentioned that. I found myself exhaling at times with laughter oh, yeah. or it just kind of takes away that tension a little bit. And then it brings you right back in with something else, that, like, a, like a scare or something else happens that's intense in the film. Yeah, man, let's check out that vinyl, Tyler. Let's check out that oh, vinyl yeah, real quick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so... Uh... So I've got two vinyls. Uh, I have the actual score. This is uh, the blood splatter. So for everyone out, out there who doesn't know already, I, I collect a lot of vinyl. So um, there's something about being able to actually hold tangibly the music and, and actually go through the process of putting it. So, yep, this is the blood splatter. And then I also happen to have, as a part of the collection, some of the lost cues that John Carpenter actually composed that were not added into the actual film so let's see if i can pull that up it might be a colored variant that's interesting you say that i mean does did john carpenter so consider some, scoring uh, the film things that we haven't seen yet but this is a i can't it's like an arctic splatter so it's got some blue tints in there uh looks like we have a main theme burn it fuchs and to max shack so now, are those from Enio or did John Carpenter provide any of them? No, these are actually John Carpenter provided cues. So very fascinating stuff. Um, I would highly recommend seeing if you can find them on YouTube. They might be loaded up on there. Um, Wait, are yeah, you no. suggesting that we pirate music? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, I think YouTube is a, is a is a platform that doesn't necessarily have pirated music. You can probably you just kind of... it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no pirating, guys. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you say there's like lost music. I think Quentin Tarantino, he was very influenced by John Carpenter's The Thing. He made Hateful Eight and he actually got Marconi to do a little music and he also used stuff that they didn't use for The Thing. And I think the I Hateful think Eight also... Right tackles you know that isolation and paranoia of racism in the in his film we kind of talked about it i think regarding what ashton said what you know you've talked about you know these you know some of the themes what what do you think makes the thing so popular and relevant ashton what comes to mind for you so when i think of what makes the thing so popular um really kind of just stems from the characters themselves I think just the individual unique identities of all those characters put together. Um, I think they're really good foils off one another. Um, mm -hmm. Each character doesn't feel thrown away. I think they feel integral to the ensemble because remember the thing is an ensemble film. And I think it doesn't work if it's just Kurt Russell running and gunning some amorphous gelatinous monster. 
it's that you know that's predator yeah that's predator (laughs) that's shane Shane blacksfield so honestly though thinking of what makes the thing so wonderful is its ambiguity i think you know speaking of who really was it at this time what happens at the end between mccready and childs i mean you can look at the slew of conspiracy theories on youtube and Mm -hmm. people are still debating and discussing this film's ending I think in its bleakness, we find some weird attempt of trying to find solutions and answers with each rewatch. So the thing is a timeless film and its ambiguity and it's just clear feeling of bleakness. I think we love to bring people in and watch this film to try to either elicit like, you know, analysis or it's just a great film to pick apart with someone new. With fresh eyes, you will find new discoveries every time. So that's personally what keeps me coming back to the thing. Yeah, it's well said, Ashton. I agree with you. I think it is the mystery for me that really, like, what is the thing even? Is it just Mm -hmm. the shape-shifting being? Or is it just a thing that we can kind of consume as as like a virus? Or is And then like the ending... Yeah, what happens to them? Do they freeze to death? Do, does this child's become the thing? Does it Kurt Russell? I mean, it's exactly. It's just like it, it's there's timeless, endless discussions that I've had with my own brothers, Tyler. I have my own friends, you know. Hell, even like you know, people that I've just like met in a in a college class. We talked about film once. We we've had thirty minute discussions over, like where is the thing like. Should they even make a thing sequel? But honestly, that's even another discussion to have about that. But I yeah, I, I read Keith David was teasing it still. Yeah, well, there was that like video game, uh, like com- like continuation that I played through. And I was like, eh, maybe if they decided to make a sequel, it wouldn't work out as well. I think John Carpenter was pretty wise in not having them butcher some, you know, not to say that no, nothing to knock the new Jurassic Park series. But honestly, when you take it to a certain degree, maybe it kind of loses the suspense that it once had. Right. The last thing I want to see is an old McCready blasting down just like gelatinous blobs in the middle right. of New York. I think uh, the idea of keeping him in Antarctica, probably frozen in time with Childs is the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, it's kind of gives you that, it's, you feel cold. It's like the movie, it's literally in a, in a blizzard and you feel cold at the end. You're like, man, wow. And yeah, speaking to that, the set design, yeah, the way you just can feel the harshness and the breath in some of those scenes from that. It's it's a very visceral film. And honestly, it's it's definitely not like, a, it, well, I was going to say it's not necessarily, it, it's not like the hardest watch, but there are moments for sure that, you know, it's going to be, you know, kind of unappealing to certain people, but uh, it's definitely a film that doesn't, you know, leave you anytime soon. And it's exactly. a film that, you know, just from, again, the genius of Carpenter and Rob Bottin and the acting, it's it's a timeless horror film. And I would recommend, if you haven't seen it, like, now's the time to just get down, enjoy a great movie, and just, you know, forever behold the thing. And speaking of the thing, what are some, like, what are your guys' favorite scenes? Like, what's your favorite scene from the thing? Tyler, do you have? Go ahead, Tyler. Uh, so I think one of my favorite scenes from the film, probably, 
is the the scene with the defibrillator just just seeing the incredible use of just the it still blows my mind when i watch that scene just the animatronics just the the, the detail to to attention regarding just the, the design and, and just the movements like it's just so crazy you have this this gentleman who is on a freaking sl slab of of steel and then his head starts popping off. The thing is like trying its most to survive and to perpetuate itself and to escape. And just seeing the, the head with the, the spider, the crab legs, like that's it's just incredible. And also one of the things I noticed that uh, I do happen to have the uh, more recent iteration of the thing in terms of a 2K scan. I was watching it on my TV and I was like, man, there was some purple like hues on the actual alien that was thawing out. And I was like, this is incredible just the design, the attention to details, those types of things, uh, pun intended. Um, another scene that just kind of, I think honorable mention comes to mind is the, the scene which is really heartbreaking and it is hard to watch, is the scene where you have the, the thing in the form of the, of, the, of the dog, you know, starting to actually un, un, unfold itself. Like yeah. that is just like a really hard scene to watch and especially for any of your animal lovers out there. Again, I don't think no animals, from what I understand, were harmed during the production of this film. But you know, there's there, it's a raw, raw scene. It's a scene that's going to make some people uncomfortable. And so, so actually, for me, those are those are like two scenes that really stuck out to me. I think a lot of the scenes with the the, the conversations are great too. Um, I think also the the the, the scene where the dog is just kind of wandering. You hear the music, and you see the shadow of somebody in the room. I have an idea who might that that might have been, but um, yeah. So all that stuff, Daniel. For you, what are some what are some scenes or sequences that really stand out to you as well? It's the petri dish interrogation scene, as we touched on, and then I would also say the last ending dialogue because Childs and McReady they don't really like each other, and now they gotta stay there with each other. So it's yeah. By by that point, yeah. I love I the ending. I'll go off Oh yeah, the ending is great. It's just, it's a perfect ending because it's just like, you don't really even need answers with a film called The Thing. It's, it, I think that's what keeps the film so relevant is that there are no clear answers with it. Mm -hmm. um, that's just the genius of the, the script by Bill Lancaster. And speaking of that scene with the, uh, you know, the chest and the, you know, the mouth that kills the medic, the medical guy. Uh, I think what really just is also something to note is just the lighting in this film about how Dean Cundy, the cinematographer, really lights those practical effects so well, which really almost, you know, it, it almost hides all the errors of the of the almost, you know, unreal thing. The, the great lighting in each and every one of those scenes makes those practical effects feel real when it's that head of Norris, you know, getting oh, yeah. those eyeballs you know it's 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 wonderful to just see that and even like alluding to uh, Jurassic Park it's almost cool to know that the cinematographer of the thing did the cinematography for Jurassic Park Dean Cundy so it's great to see how that lighting works so how important it is to practical effects in creating that belie believability and I just think that attention to detail is what makes those practical effects even greater um another favorite scene of mine man it's just so hard because like i probably have seen this film like five times it's every scene just feels memorable um even in its slowness there's something that just seems so integral to each new discovery each new 
you know, moment when the thing shows itself. It's a perfect film that almost feels like in its pace, it kind of tires you and then surprises you just like we feel the characters go through. Uh, again, yeah, the Petri dish, top 10, probably biggest shock scenes of all time. Um, one just other scene- the tension, that's a master oh, of tension. It is, and even just how it all unfolds with the guy Clark with the dogs, with the knife, McCready has to shoot him. And it just keeps you just like, whoa, what is happening? And it just, it's a pressure cooker scene that just really blows up and no pun intended with the dynamite stick, uh, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, honestly. All I'm, puns intended, man. All puns intended with the thing, for sure. Exactly. You yeah. know, one of the scenes that came to my mind, too, was uh, Wilford Brimley playing Blair. Oh, my God. That Perfect. one short, great, great character oh, actor, yeah. great actor. That one scene where he's sitting at his computer console and he's going through the probabilities and you just see that text and it's just so damning and you don't really need to see him say anything you know the camera focuses on his expression you know the camera lingers to you know pans down to see him pull out the gun just incredible directing from john carpenter that particular two minute sequence i think it's less than two minutes but it says a lot about not only what's going on but the state of these people's minds so Gosh, there's so many memorable scenes, like you were saying, Ashton, that... And even speaking of that computer scene, I love even the cheesiness of the 80s programming of just, like, this pixelated virus just eating it. That was high-tech, then. I mean, it's high-tech, but, like, even now we could discredit it as being cheesy, but it's still, it's so charming of its time, and it still holds up because it's like, you're right, the great direction and what those, you know, viruses show, the assimilation, it's... It's, it's just a masterful, like, directed film and, like, it's pans, it's lingering, it's, like, you know, all of its close-ups and even those split diopter shots that get kind of memed online of how can you have the background and foreground be focused in the same time? I mean, at that point, it's just, like, who cares because the movie just works on right. all levels. And to go back to the doctor, um, he that consumes him when he finds out the probability that consumes him throughout the, th- for the rest of the movie. I mean, it literally, he become he isolates himself. You know, it's, it's a and wonderful it, and movie. It crazy is he, be, he becomes the thing, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And I love yeah. the shot too with Wilford Brimley. Like when he's been isolated, there's just that noose in the background. He's just sitting there like, let me out. Let I me think out. I'm okay now. Okay. <laughs> It's just, it, it just goes to show the despair again, that bleakness uh, that, you know, I think the film really upholds well. You so kind of we... wonder at that particular point in time, you know, like the thing is hell bent on surviving. Right. You kind of wonder if like Wilford Brimley as Blair was actually going to kill himself, but maybe he turned and, and that's why it's kind of hanging there. I don't know. There, there's probably different reasons, but. For sure. Maybe that the thing was trying to manipulate McCready into feeling some kind of sympathy for him. That's just what's great about the thing itself. The sentient conversations. Yeah, you could find new discoveries just by speaking about it. It's just it's the perfect like film to like show a group of like film students and just be like run wild with a thesis of what's the thing. Exactly. Yeah, you could write so many term papers with this. It'd be crazy, and everyone would be different. There'd be like a degree of difference in all of them. And that's why this makes this film fresh. And so I think in terms of final thoughts, if you haven't seen The Thing, definitely do yourself a favor 
I think like all of us here would suggest, go check out the film. For me, on a four-star rating, there's some, there's some, you know, some technical goofs I caught. Uh, there's a particular scene with the Petri dish where Windows is cutting each other, cutting the, the thumbs. He uses the same knife. Cross-contamination, guys. No, no, you got to make sure you sterilize that. But aside from with that, what, though? With what? Story. There's yeah. nothing in there to sterilize it with. Like his, hey, gene, his genes, genes, right? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, the genes. Yeah, but come on. I'm a biology major. I'm not uh, an expert, but that's that's not going to be helpful. Everyone at this point in time would be the thing, at least would indicate. But aside from that, this is a great film. This is a film that I would suggest is four out of four stars. So, uh Daniel, what are your final thoughts? Uh, would you recommend this? Is this something that you would highly laud as great? Oh, yeah. Excellent, actually. And I think it's probably the best remake ever. Because a lot of people don't know that there's a 1951 version of, of The Thing. And John Carpenter remade it. And, and now, like, if you Google The Thing, The Thing from 82 shows up before the original. So there you go. I mean, and the fact that we keep revisiting it, and yeah, it's fantastic film, four out of four. It's one of my favorite sci-fi horror movies of all time. What about you, Ashton? And honestly, just again, this is going to be all of us in sync. The Thing may not only be my favorite horror movie of all time, but it's probably my top 10 favorite films of all time. It's a four out of four film for me. Um, I'll even just kind of close on this. I'm an English teacher and I, in my first year of teaching, you know, despite my better judgment, I was reaching for a lesson and I was like, you know what, these kids have been wanting to watch a movie. And I said, you know what, we're going to watch The Thing. So from my perspective as an educator, I have shown probably 90 students The Thing. And from that 90 students, at least probably over, you know, 60% of them came up to me afterwards going, Mister, that movie was awesome. And even for, you know, just exposing them to just the wonders of practical effects, to great writing, to, you know, great camera direction, really exposing that to a new generation. That's been something that I not only hope to do with future students, but even with my own future children as we watch movies on a Friday night. So the thing forever is going to be a thing in my mind. And uh, it's a timeless film. And I'd recommend anyone out there listening, hopefully you've enjoyed listening to our discussions because it's such a film that warrants, you know, a great discussion about its quality and content. Well said. And Ashton, you're an English teacher and are you an also a published oh, yeah. author? Would yes, you like I'm to would you like yeah, to say so a little I'm, bit about your work and how we can, can how we can dis discover your work and how we can find it and where we can find you? Oh, for sure. Yes, yeah, social media. In the year of 2020, we kind of went into a, a, a global pandemic. Luckily, it wasn't the thing. We didn't have to deal with that. But I Yeah, I think this is still relevant to today. I mean, Oh, definitely. Yeah. Just to show how a virus can spread. Uh, but during those troubling times, I, yeah, I self-published a book on Amazon called Seasons. It's a collection of poetry uh, written over the span of a year. Um, all, a lot of the poems are pretty universal. Some are definitely personal because I think that's what poetry is fundamentally. Absolutely. Poetry is not a competition. It's an invitation into the mind of an author. So this is a half of a book of poems and a short story called The Blue Beetle, inspired by favorite authors of mine like Stephen King, uh, 
Justin Cronin, Noah Hawley, so many other noteworthy authors, but it's a, it's a great suspenseful ride. If you want a great read, uh, Seasons, it's on Amazon. And if you happen to live in Wichita, Kansas, you can find it at local bookstores. But uh, guys, I just want to say thanks again for having me on. The thing is yeah. not only my favorite horror movie, but it's a great timeless film that I would take the chance anytime to discuss. And it's been it's been a wonderful ride. Thanks, guys. Yeah, Ashton, you're welcome to be back anytime. Come back and we'll watch another Rewind and... Uh... So where can they find you on social media? Oh, yes. You can find me on Twitter at Elsewhere Ash. All right. And Tyler, where can people find you? Well, you guys can find me on Twitter at Tyler underscore Pacholsky. P as in Peter, A-C-H-O-L-S-K-I. And you can also engage with me on our Facebook page, Friends by Film. We'll be uh, putting on these videos as well as keeping you up to date with things down the pipeline. Daniel, where can they find you? At Poly Pictures on YouTube and Twitter. And also today we've launched our new YouTube channel. So this is the Friends by Film YouTube channel. Please like, subscribe, comment your thoughts on the thing. Did you like it? Did you not like it? What were your favorite scenes, favorite characters? So yeah, thanks a lot, guys. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Awesome. <laughs>